Mill City. Um, I am thrilled to be here this morning and glad you're able to join us. And I'm not sure how I could follow up with this movie, but I'm just going to jump right in. First of all, we are continuing the series on the New Testament, the difference that Jesus makes. And I get the privilege of talking about 3 John. But I need to back up a little bit and really just talk about the first and second weeks um, that Pastor Michael and Pastor Steph talked about, because Pastor Michael talked about 1 John, Pastor Steph talked about 2 John. So I want to review that just a little bit this morning before I go into 3 John. So Pastor Michael talked about the challenges that the first century church was having with people leaving the church community, the criticism of people who stayed, and the stirring of opposition. And he posed a couple of really good questions. His first question was, how are we to respond in the midst of struggle? And our response should be to actively go and love other people, remembering God's love. And there were three things we were also to remember. First of all, he talked about God is love. And then secondly, he said, God's love is both a means and an end. And thirdly, he talked about God's love as our identity. His other question had to do with the reputation as a church. What is our reputation as a church? And in 1 John, it's clear, very clear what we're supposed to do. Because it says in 1 John 4, 7, and 8, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. The NIV commentary beautifully says this, and it captures what this means. It says, a person once converted now demonstrates the fruit of that conversion. Since God is love, those who encounter him have the power to become loving persons. And I want you to remember that word encounter because I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. God is love means that all of his activity is loving. Love is the essence of his being. John is carefully defining the character of God, of who God is, and what it means to live in relation to him. A true apprehension of the personhood of God should lead us to change how we live and behave. So that's what, what 1 John was about. Pastor Steph then, the following week, talked about how there were people who were trying to discredit Jesus saying false things, and who were just so mean-spirited. And these people were called deceivers and antichrists. And an antichrist, it wasn't a single person, but anyone who was against Jesus. And John had to do this, some damage control in writing this letters because of the challenges that the church was having. And John used the word truth five times, explaining that truth is Jesus, and how we are to walk in the truth and the love of Jesus. 
The challenges of today of racism and sexism and classism and divisions and despair and all the other isms in our world does not change the fact that we, are we need to continue to be the church and walk in truth. Then she talked about with truth and the love of Jesus, we do three things. We seek humble wisdom, we take confidence in God's love, and we show radical love to our neighbor. So when I look at these three books, they really are, it just comes down to demonstrating love. Because third John has the same message. It gives, but it gives us an example of what love looks like in action, even when you don't even know the person. There is a contrast in third John of how love is expressed by various people in this very short book, which is actually one verse less than 2 John, and written to a man named Gaius by the disciple John, who refers to himself as the elder. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the first eight verses, comment on it, and then read the, uh, just about the remainder of the chapter, because it's so short. So he starts off by saying in 3 John, to my dear friends Gaius, whom I love in the truth, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and all that may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You're hearing that again in 3 John. It says, he goes on to say, dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. This was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to excuse me, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. So John begins this letter with this beautiful opening of a greeting and a blessing for the physical health and wealth and his uh, physical uh, being and his spiritual being because that mattered to Jesus too. He cared for both our bodies and our souls. And John makes a point of mentioning this to his friends who have testified to Gaius' faithfulness in the truth and his love for others, even when he doesn't know them. So during the first century church, there were no Hiltons or Marriott's or Motel 6 where they keep the lights on for you. These fine accommodations, they were not available in the first century, as a matter of, like we have now. As a matter of fact, those inns were so deplorable, people didn't want to stay in them because they were notorious for being dirty and flea-infested. So traveling teachers and missionaries would often stay in the homes of other believers. It was normal for believers to show hospitality. 
It was part of the culture, and there was such a high value to welcome guests into your home and to show faithful service to traveling missionaries, even though they didn't know them personally. Why was this even important? Because if you were showing faithfulness in having those missionaries stay at your home, you were considered doing a part of God's work. Not everyone is called to being a traveling missionary or minister in that way. And this may seem somewhat trivial to us, but it's not to God. There is a practical outworking of the essential command to love one another. It is love in action. There is a benefit also for the faithfulness of serving. Jesus himself was surrounded by people who cared for him. That was a part of the culture, and we are called to do the same. In Matthew 10, verses 40 through 42, it says, Anyone, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet reward. And whoever welcomes a, right, a righteous person is a righteous person, as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives a cup of water, a simple cup of water, to one of those little ones who is my disciple, truly I will say to you, that person will certainly not lose a reward. Now, as Christ followers, our kindness to others doesn't go unnoticed. And as people who represented Christ as his ambassadors, when we serve others, his word says it is equal to receiving Christ himself. And I want to share a story about someone who defined hospitality. Because I don't know of anyone who is more welcoming to people in her home than my friend Leah. You know, Leah learned from her mom, Eleonora, who learned from her mom, Mary Alice, about opening up her home and knowing that it would be a gift to those who needed a place to stay. Leah said it was an ethic she learned when she was really, really young. As her grandmother moved into the home, her grandmother uh, went blind and she had dementia. She said she had a cousin that, cousins that stayed at their house, they were supposed to come from a, for a summer and never left. And even when the cousin got pregnant, the mom, her mom still welcomed her. This is a place where people found a refuge. Even Leah's friends, they knew it was a place that they could come when they weren't getting along with their parents. It became a refuge for her friends. And even a Liberian missionary ended up staying there for a year. Her family even welcomed our family as we were driving across country with just hours notice. When I say hours, I'm talking like a few hours notice. They welcomed us into their home. So Mill City, when we have the opportunity to serve in the name of Jesus, we are an extension of Christ. And this outpouring of love is shown when you open your home, when you provide resources, when you bring a, 
a meal to a family who's in need in our congregation, out of our congregation, just like the little food shelf, and also like Claire Housing. So here in 3 John, Gaius is extending love faithfully by walking in the truth and showing hospitality to whoever visited. So now let's go into the second part of this passage where it shows you the opposite of what it means to love or what hospitality does not look like. So we continue in verse 9. It says, John says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who wait, who want to do, want to do so, and put, puts them out of the church. I think Diotrephes, he's got some issues. But this is the key verse. It says, dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and we know that our testimony is true. So what does Diotrephus do? First of all, he ignores the letter from the oldest living surviving disciple of Christ, John, who actually was with Christ. He ignores him. He wants to be first, so we know that he's got some issues with pride. He doesn't even want to deal with John. He doesn't want him to come. And John's going to call him out when he does go to visit. He spreads lies. He gossips. John calls that malicious nonsense. And he refuses to welcome other believers. He sows discord by putting others out who want to serve others. Now I know each church has a Gaius and a Diotrephes. Diotrephes, we know, he's having a struggle with power and authority, which is not from God. We don't know who gave him this power. We don't know if it was even usurped. But he's ignoring John, and he has failed to come alongside anyone in the church and is sowing disunity in the church. I don't even know what Diotrephes' problem was. Because John doesn't address the doctrine issue. He doesn't say he's accusing him of leaving the church or he's a false teacher or an antichrist. But he refuses to welcome other Christians, traveling teachers, and missionaries into the community. And this is what Gaius is to imitate, to do what is good, from verse 11. The Asbury Commentary says this, Gaius is to imitate what is good. Good here is not a general category of good things, but specifically the good that comes from God. What is in harmony with God's character and in keeping with God's actions. Even Demetrius 
is spoken well of by people who have come into community with God's love that embodied him and evident to those who met him. C.H. Dodd put it this way. There is no real religious experience that does not itself, that does not express itself in charity or love. That is why for all his powers of leadership and for all his dominance of character, Diophanes was not a real Christian as John saw it. The true Christian leader must always remember that strength and gentleness must go together and that leading and loving must go hand in hand. That's that love in action. So John uses this letter to show the difference between how we as Christians should treat one another, which requires us to rely on our common bond in Jesus Christ and to place our trust in God. Our love is also dependent on our obedience. When we don't obey, we don't love. Diotrephes was not obeying what John was telling him and showing love to his fellow believers or people he didn't know. We can get in the mindset that our obedience to God affects only ourselves, but that is not true at all. Our actions, whether obedient or disobedient, have a ripple effect far beyond our limited version of a circumstance, vision of a circumstance. Diotrephes saying no is not loving others. And I want to share a story of an impor the importance of an act of love. In 1958, there was a man by the name of Pastor Dave, and he was a country preacher from Pennsylvania. And he was in a church of about 250 that had grown over the last four years. So he was living in quite, he was very comfortable. And he would often spend his late nights watching the Late Late Show from 12 to 2 in the morning. And God convicted him to turn off the TV and to start to pray. So instead of watching TV, he actually sold his television and one night he was in prayer and he was so distracted by prayer and he picked up the Life magazine and came across this article about seven gang members who had killed this kid with polio. And he began to cry when he looked at the artist's rendering of these kids and one caught his eye because he could see such pain and hate and strife on this kid's face. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him to reach out to these boys on trial for murder. It was not a situation that he had understood. This was not a lifestyle that he understood or anything. He had come from a long line of Pentecostal preachers in his family. And these were situations and life situations that he had no idea what was going on. But Pastor Dave went from this thriving church that was relatively secure in Pennsylvania to a New York City, which was very unpredictable, to attend the trial of these boys. And on his first day, he was kicked out of the courtroom by the judge because he wanted the opportunity to share the gospel with them. And at one point, I would have probably asked God, 
Hello, Lord, did I hear you right? You have sent me into this place. But the Lord used him and gave him favor. And even in doing that, there was a picture that was taken of him that these gang members had noticed. And so he was able to have an in with these gang members. He began to hold street meetings and rallies in order to share the gospel with these inflicted by drugs and gang life. And it was not easy to minister by any means. It was, and he was quite naive. But God gave him such favor with people on the street and people that just wanted to be able to help. So at a youth rally in St. Nicholas Arena, God saved the most hardened gang member in New York City. His name was Nicky Cruz. Pastor Dave told him to his face that he loved him. And it's the love of Christ that was shining through Pastor Dave that day that penetrated the most hardened heart of Nicky Cruz. A man who spit on his face, a man who mocked him, and a man who threatened to kill him. That is unconditional love. There are some things that only God can do. And this was one of those situations where the power of the Holy Spirit was so evident. He was showing the essence of the Father by loving Nikki Cruz where he was at. So when those youths realized, or the people that were helping Dave Pastor Dave realized that these youth needed a place to stay, a stable place to stay and live. That's when Teen Challenge was born. And it would become a faith-based alcohol and drug treatment center for men and women to stay for 12 to 18 months. And my mother, at the point of desperation in 1968, with her heroin addiction, Someone told her about Teen Challenge, and that changed the trajectory of her life, which changed the trajectory of my life. When we say yes to God, when we are obedient to God, it does have a ripple effect. So what does Gaius, Demetrius, Leah, Eleonora, even Mary Alice and Dave Wilkerson have in common. Let me go back to the quote in the beginning of the NIV commentary that really struck me because of what John said. Since God is love, those who encounter him have the power to become loving persons. Think about the relationship between John and Jesus. They were so close. John was a part of this inner circle. He was called the one who Jesus loved. They were so close. Jesus was called to follow Jesus along with his brother James. And for three years, he encountered Jesus, who was the embodiment of of love, which is why John could even write the books that he did. And that's why he can speak to the importance of love. Because his encounter with Jesus, we have the power to become loving persons. We have the power to become loving persons when we encounter Jesus. 
And John was a part, like I said, of this inner circle because he got to see Jairus' daughter raised from the dead. He got to see the transfiguration on the mountain. And he got to see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was asked to come and pray with him. But I want to share a video that I think demonstrates one encountering Jesus. When you encounter Jesus, what happens? I want to share this video. It's done by the skit, skit guys before we close. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, his crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus, is that you? You're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat, and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice, and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there, and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net, and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up, and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter, yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good. And then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster clucking. I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it. All right. Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that the, there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking in that tomb, and it is. It is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, yeah. the angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said okay. what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. 
It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. When you encounter the grace and the crazy love of Jesus, like Peter and John did, it fills you with the power to serve others. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. Walking so closely with Jesus the way that John did for those three years changed him. Charles Persian said, the love of Jesus was shed abroad in John's heart, and thus John himself was made fragrant with delightful odors. Do you want to smell of the fragrance of God's love like Gaius and Demetrius, or have the stench of pride and arrogance and disobedience like Diotrephes? In order to have the aroma of Christ in our life, we have to spend time in Jesus' presence. So what is that going to look like for you on a daily basis? Secondly, obeying what Jesus has called you to do. What is that going to look like to you on a daily basis? Gaius was a faithful leader. Diotrephes was prideful and arrogant, and he was a dictator. Demetrius was a person of good character and respected by all. Who do you want to be? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this time together. Lord, we can't do this without you. We can't be the people that you have called us to be unless we are in your presence, to be the loving people that you have called us to be unless we're in your presence. Help us, Lord, to do that. Help us to be obedient into what you have called us to do, whether it's inviting someone into our home for a meal or for an extended stay, whatever the case may be. Help us to do that, Lord. Fill us with your presence. Fill us with your spirit, Lord, that we could do what we have been called to do. Because we know, Lord, that there's nothing that is too hard for you, God. So we thank you for this time, and I pray that this message would resonate and rest on those who need to hear it, Lord. I thank you, and I praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.